When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined by Mo Stewart. Mo, how's your week been, mate? It's been good, been good. Um, Yeah, pretty much almost immediately after we recorded the last show, like, it all kicked off. And we've kind of ridden that wave for the last seven days, pretty much. So, yeah, excited. Uh, interested to see what happens next. Yeah, well, it feels like we've missed quite a bit, to be honest. When we first talked about the link to Dominic Schaubuschlei last week, it was very much speculation, wasn't it? And we were just kind of talking up the move. And I think at the time we were quite doubtful as to whether it was actually going to happen because I think Ornstein's uh, language was a bit like, you know, it'll be a difficult deal to do and all this. I was more hyped on the profile of the player and, and that we were getting our profile on right by the looks of it. But we've ended up actually signing him. Um, full release clause, apparently about €70 million. Euros. Thoughts? I mean, are you surprised that we got the deal over the line so quickly and, and things like that? Yes. I mean, I think, as I said on the last show, I thought the tactic was going to be let the release clause lapse and then try to negotiate a low deal. As it turns out, based on sources close to the deal, as they say, that wasn't an option for Liverpool. It was trigger it or not, and they decided to trigger it. So, yes, I'm very pleased, just like we said last week, he does seem to fit perfectly exactly what we're looking for in that position. And it gives us almost a little bit more clarity as to where Liverpool's thoughts are in terms of the way forward next season. But by the same token, it is a surprise that they have allocated all £60 million, uh, 70 million euros to him when the general consensus was that there were still two more players to buy. Obviously, that itself has been called into question recently, but I do think based on the player that we have, we can look forward to a much improved uh, showing from our midfield next season. Yeah, well, we don't want to stay on it for too long because we did we did touch on quite a bit last week, so we don't want to repeat ourselves or anything like that, but I am very, very happy with the sign. I think it's... Uh, a really good window so far. I'd say, I'd argue actually so far. Obviously, it remains to be seen what's going to happen moving forward. But I think at this present moment, you could argue our window is a, is close to a 10 out of 10 in terms of we haven't yet restarted pre-season and already we've added two really perfect profiles, high quality, good prices in Sobosly and McAllister. Um now, whether it actually ends up being a 10 out of 10 or a 9 out of 10 will be decided by the rest of the window. But yeah. I think up until this point, 6th of July, I think it is at the minute, um, I don't think we could have done much more, much more by this point in terms of the players we've got in and the quality we've added, the tackling that we've done in terms of our biggest weakness last season. So, yeah, I'm really, really happy with what we're doing so far. Yeah. No, I agree. I think... A lot of times people think, oh, well, okay, we've done this, now on to the next one, on to the next one. And some people would want us to still be further ahead with some of the others. But I think you have to take the window and the transfer market in general into account with some of these. There have been a lot of people who were, for a long time, kind of playing chicken with each other and holding off. And now it seems like dominoes are beginning to fall. And now we're in this stage, I do believe some things will begin to move. So... Yeah, I agree with the people who we've brought in. I think we've given them the absolutely the best chance of being successful and therefore making us more successful. So I'm very happy with that. I think they tick all the boxes. I do think as we're going to come on to, there is more to add to it to make it 10 out of 10 perfect. Yeah, I think adding Sobuslai and alongside McAllister, who's already in the building, I think it really does reinforce this this three two five. That we uh, that we've adopted since April, I think it's probably going to stay in place. Otherwise, I'd be, I'd be. To be honest, if you'd have said to me 
<laughs> in February or something like that. Liverpool will fix their midfield by getting in Soboslai and um, McAllister. I'd be encouraged by the level of the players, but I'd be a bit like, yeah, but we can't really defend and you're getting in tens like that. Like, But because we've changed system, it now suddenly just works perfectly. And, and now, obviously, the biggest defender for Liverpool is going to be the initial press. Soboslai has that attached to his game. He's, he's the product of the Red Bull Academy. Um, of the Red Bull system in terms of coming through uh, Liefering, I think, first, then Salzburg, and then uh, Leipzig. And then, obviously, it seems it was on the ball qualities, um, really creative, a lot more suited to the demands of the role in Jordan Henderson, um, really technical, good from set pieces, very versatile in terms of being able to play both sides, um, physical. I also like it as well when... There's something about signing a captain that I, yeah. I really, really like. He's the captain of Hungary. And we've just signed uh, Cody Gakpo, who was the captain of PSV when he came in. Yeah. So, yeah, again, just reinforcing it. All good signs at the minute. Yeah, I think young players who can not only accept and take responsibility, but also when you're a captain, you have to be conscious and aware of your teammates, not only in terms of the function of the team, but also their emotional chemistry and all those things. And the quicker you as a young man are aware and able to enhance those things, I think the reason you are going to adapt. I think that's one of the, the hidden things about being uh, a leader at a young age that we kind of forget. The one downside to that, though, is every international break, he's going to be playing the whole time. <laughs> so maybe, I mean, there's going to be times when we're like, oh, bloody hell, why is he captain? Like, we're going to be watching Hungry Games thinking, sum him up, sum him up, you're already 3 0 up. But yeah, it's just part for the course, really, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, solid sign, really, really happy with it. Um, but I think it took about 48 hours <laughs> for the Liverpool fan base to quickly get into panic stations once again. We're not signing anybody and all this stuff, but. The player that we are getting linked with by the looks of it is, is Romeo Lavia uh, of Southampton, just got relegated. Um, the word apparently is that we are not signing them unless someone leaves from the midfield department, um, which we will touch on. But what what are your first thoughts on, on Lavia as a link? I like him as a player. I think it's, it's a strange one because... He was one of those players where he didn't really look so much at Southampton a lot during the last season because they were losing most of their games. And the only people who really got any focus was James Ward-Prowse because he was banging in free kicks. But if you go back and watch some of his highlights and you look at the numbers he was able to produce, he was a star for them last season, even in a struggling team. And when you think about the fact that Southampton can see the second most goals out of everybody, to say that their defensive midfielder was their best player seems like a stretch, but it really isn't. I think he was that good. And um, Sam Maguire did a really good piece for Anfield Watch a couple of days ago where he, he describes him as a transition killer, which means that teams who are being counterattacked on, when Southampton was being counterattacked on, he had the intelligence and he had the ability to cover the ground to cut out those counterattacks. But he's also really good at receiving the ball under pressure, deep in his own half, and being able to turn away and carry the ball into space and to pass it to some of his better players. And again, if you think about the problems we had last season and the potential need for that role, it, it seems tailor-made for us. I do think this might be one that we have to go deep. This might become our only real, well, one of two sagas of the summer. But personally, I think he's worth getting in the building. Whether he's worth getting in the building at £50 million, I'm glad I don't have to make that decision. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting link, this one. Uh, it, it doesn't really fit the narrative of, of all the links. Um, for example, he's, he's not he's not much of a data player by the looks of it. Uh, he doesn't look like he particularly shines in, in many departments at all in the data. That doesn't necessarily mean he's a bad player by any means, and obviously that have to then factor in logic. One of the biggest elements of, of the logic that you've probably got to factor in is the fact he's 19, yeah. and he's just spent a full season playing for the worst team in the league, essentially. I think they finished bottom. Yeah. Um, they had, I think, one or two different managers throughout the season. 
Um, but despite that, as you say, he probably did establish himself as arguably the best player on 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 that team in terms of like, I suppose he's got War Prowse for competition, maybe. I think um, Alcaraz, I think it might have been second half of the season, looked quite good. But I think I think Lavi was probably the best player throughout the season. Um, in terms of a fit, though, again, this is a recurring theme that I've been pushing throughout this summer. In terms of a tactical fit, I, I don't overly see a perfect one with the this three-box three system that we keep talking about. So, I mean, he's certainly not one of the the two eights. He's certainly no. not the inverted fullback. So that would make him Fabinho, and if he's Fabinho, you have Fabinho already there. You have Bessetic there. You potentially have Henderson wanting to get minutes there, and if Thiago stays, which is probably where this talking point comes from in terms of like we will only get Lavia if Thiago leaves. Thiago probably also wants that spot, um, and you've got to bear in mind that spot becomes a lone six when we don't have the ball. Yeah. And although Lavia did play as kind of like the central holding midfielder for um, Southampton throughout the season, it was pretty much exclusively as part of a midfield too. And uh, I don't know if I'd be overly comfortable with him as a holding presence. Um, similar to the concerns that I had about Yagate a little bit along those lines. Not as much, but... I don't know. What do you I think? don't know, man. I've, I've got to say, I do think I, th- I, th- I have to disagree with you on this one. I do think he's got it in him. I think right. when you look at, I mean, I've been looking at the um, comparison matrix here, uh, the scorecard comparison matrix between him and those three you mentioned: Fabinho, Thiago, and Jordan Henderson. Um, he's the way in place he suffers is when you're thinking about his passing. But I think you have to remember his role in that Southampton team is very much to just pass to the most avail- first available guy. And he's able to do that very well. I think the element, like I said, the, the element of him being able to come deep, to receive the ball under pressure, turn away and go and move forward into space. I think that is the part of the holding midfield role he's going to have to do. In terms of the coverage of the team, he's going to have, he has energy to be able to do it. Probably better, I'd say, than Fabinho has been at the moment. And he has the Fabinho-esque knack of nicking the ball. I think winning the ball back, ball recoveries in the deeper area, is something that he absolutely excels at. And when you put that together with the ability to win the ball higher up the pitch of McAllister and Solosai, it does feel like an absolute Bermuda triangle of, of midfield where no one's getting through with the ball. And that kind of solidity, not to mention... The other thing that we haven't mentioned in this rebuild that was very big last season, athleticism. Now, Lavia is, is not as tall as Fabinho, he's only 5'11", but he does have a more athletic presence. He is able to hold off players left and right and come out with the ball. And I think that as great as Sobazai and McAllister are, and as much as they are tenacious in the tackle and can win tackles, they don't have that kind of physical presence. There were times when we got, we got bullied at Anfield by Aston Villa. Like, I, I've forgotten that. <laughs> I think Romeo Lavia suffers that, sells that. The question of minutes, that is the big question, though. As much as I was talking before about Lavia's feet, because you're right, I do think you're looking at this box midfield and you're looking at Fabinho, Thiago and Jordan Henderson. And if I'm brutally honest, I'm most comfortable with all three of them playing that one position. Like, I w- I'd be more nervous if any of them played anywhere other than there. And then... On top of that, you've also got the fact that Alexis McAllister has played in the bottom of a double pivot before. And then you look at the Euro 21 Championships, and oh, look, we see Curtis Jones playing as a deep-minded midfielder in the two. And suddenly there are all these other options to be able to play that position, and you wonder, how is five or six into one going to go? And it isn't. So that's where you get to the stage where if he comes in, one of them has to go. And it's a strange one because we're going to come on to the merits of selling them, but it's one of those things where you have an instinctive reaction and then the more you think about it, maybe, well, my um, opinion involves, and you start to take in more things, you start to think, well, damn, maybe, maybe. That's kind of where I am now. Analyzing Anfield 
on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it, it is an incessant link, it really is. I mean, looking at him, I think when, you, when you're watching him play, I think his, his obvious biggest strength, and you've already touched on it a few times, is is, is kind of ability to evade pressure and um, press resistance, I suppose we kind of call it, don't we? He, he can do that, he can help you build up. Um, for me, he's kind of predominantly a player for the middle third of the pitch. Certainly can't see him anywhere near the final third, personally. Um he does look like he should. He does look energetic and, um, you know, proactive and things like that. And like quite a, a modern midfielder almost. But again, going back to the numbers thing, it is quite interesting because he, he doesn't really show up as... I expected him to, to look like more of a ball winner than he actually yeah. is in the numbers. Um, like, for example, he, he. I mean, these numbers are... I'm not perfect. I always say that when it comes to defensive numbers, but he averages about the same number of tackles and interceptions per ninety in the Premier League over the past year as James Milner, um, as Bruno Guimaraes, Leandro Den Donker, um, Conor Gallagher, Ruben Neves. So it's not. It's, he's not like a major ball winner, like no. that. Right. He's got um, more. Numbers. It's a higher number than Fabinho and Henderson, though, isn't it? It is, yeah, but then that that's when you have to throw in the curious thing that he played for the team at the bottom of the league. So they are technically without the ball more than yes. most teams. So he should he should really be doing a bit more defensive work than he than he did by the looks of it. But again, it's one of them where it feels like there could be holes in the data with this a little bit. If it or it feels a bit like one of them where you almost wouldn't just assess this player based on the numbers if you can, because he's no. still just he's still nineteen. So I mean, I'd argue that his time at City, even though it's at a lower level in the Premier League too, is probably better guide for how he would perform at Liverpool when you think about dominating the ball in the way that Liverpool would, but the way that Southampton don't in terms of the way of how much of the defensive actions he's going to be needed to do per game. I think that's more likely. So, I again, I think he is very young and therefore has time to build and learn. But from what I see, it does look like he has the raw materials for it. It's it's the configuration that I'm very interested in because one of the other things that we mentioned on one of the previous shows in terms of suitability is about if we're going to flip it from a box to a diamond. Now, I think that if you do do that, that does kind of give you a few more options for some of these other guys. But then that does kind of throw the Trent question back into focus. So it's like, mm. where are we going? And, and <laughs> how is it all going to fit? It's still, yeah, there's still a few really important questions to be answered for me. Yeah, I think you you, you mentioned it right there when you, you said he's got the raw materials. I think that's probably what we'd be investing in, to be honest. We'd probably be taking a chance on those raw materials that he seems to have at the age of 19, you know, Premier League regular. I think only, let's have a look at his numbers again, hang on a sec. So he, I thought he started more than that, actually. He started 26 games in the Premier League last season out of a possible 38. Over 2,000 minutes, though. Um, to do that as a teenager is, you know, is, is some going on that. And if you do watch him, he, he does have that press resistance about him. He can dribble as well out of situations. Uh, he seems to be at ease and a little bit un- unpredictable almost when he's in possession. I don't think he is much of a passer. If I'm honest, I don't think he's kind of like a... Like if you think of a holding midfielder sometimes, a lot of the time they kind of dictate the game for you a little bit. And um, like Fabinho hasn't been necessarily that, but he has also to a certain extent. And I don't, I'm don't, i not sure Lavia has that yet, at least. Um yeah. So it's it, it's a I'm I'm kind of I'm a little bit whatever about it if I'm honest. Um, if we didn't get him, I wouldn't be bothered. And if we well, did get him, I'd find a way to look at the positives. I think, but I, I'm not. I'm a bit. Do you know what I mean? I'm a bit on the fence with it. I think for me, I know again the thing with transfer fees is it's not my money, so I shouldn't care. But I'm obviously thinking about the wider picture and filling the whole squad. I do think that fifty million is too much because yeah, he has got great quality. Um, he wouldn't fulfill a homegrown quota spot because he's too young and he would eventually become one. So that's that. But 
he's only played, what, 17 more games than Stefan Bicetic? And I know that we're also thinking about Bicetic as a cover for Trent, potentially. But at 50 million is a lot of money. When we consider we just put 60 on Zobba's line, I, I think you'd want, you'd want him to be more integral. And yes, you can look at it and say that eventually he will be. But I just think that there's a reason why Liverpool aren't pulling the trigger now. And that reason is they're trying to get the price down to something manageable and reasonable. Whether that involves doing what we did in our other two transfers, which was banging them one of our players. Uh, I don't know whether or not Tyler Morton potentially could go out on loan there or something along that lines. But I do think if the price comes into a reasonable range, I can see it happening. Yeah, I agree. I, th- I think 50 million is, is way too high. I, I wouldn't go anywhere near it. I mean, I think I'll have a look at his contract. I think he's, he's contacted until 2027, I think it was. So maybe some of that could come into it, considering that would mean he's got four le- four years left on his contract. So I would understand to some degree from that there's, perspective. There's, there's a City buyback clause. That Sorry, comes, what? City have got a buyback clause that comes into play next summer which is rumoured to be anywhere from 40 to 45 million. And they've also got a 20% sell-on on on whatever deal they do on Lavia. So I believe those are the reasons why Southampton are trying to maintain their high fee for him. But the fact remains is that he's not going to want to play in the championship. So there's going to be a decision to be made there and there's going to be a compromise to be had. It just depends who's making it. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, even if... Obviously, they're pushing 50... And I think 50 is probably the starting point, really, when you think about it. And usually when that's the case, you end up meeting somewhere in the middle. Like, say, for example, I think Chelsea were pushing 70 for Mount initially. I think he ends up going for 55. So if they're pushing 50 for, for Lavia and we end up getting them for 35, how would you feel about that? Because I, I think I'd still feel a little bit like... Mm. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Well, I, just, it, I don't know. I think I think I'd be all right with thirty-five. I do. I think that again, I can see a world where him coming in this year, if it does mean that someone leaves, he'll be able to get enough minutes to be able to develop, and from next season, he will start to look like a player who can bring us forward. I do think that there is a world where he doesn't come in and we're just fine, like you say. I just think the, the physicality question is the only one that hasn't really been answered so far within this midfield, and that's the part that makes me the most nervous. Outside of that, I think, yeah, I can see how we can just about manage if it comes to that and everyone stays fit. <laughs> well, I think I think that is probably the the big one for me, the, the fitness thing, like rather than the physical stuff. Because for me, he's not that physical. I know he's energetic, definitely energetic. But he's not like a monster in there. He's not, he's not like a a Liverpool midfield bully type thing no. that we've seen in the past couple of years. So I wouldn't sign him for that purpose necessarily. Um, but the availability it would be a, a bit of a concern with me when it comes to relying on Thiago and a 33-year-old Henderson now and... And things like that. That that would be a bit more of a. And obviously, Bissette is just, just coming back from a major knock, so I yeah. think that would be a reason to get him in for me, because um, obviously Lavia doesn't have any any issues like that attached to his game yet. Um, but yeah, for, I think it's it feels like a weird link to assess. To be honest, I, I don't. As I said, I don't overly know where I stand on it, and a lot of it seems to come from whether Liverpool will sell any players to to. I don't even think it's to fund the move, to be honest. I think this could yeah. just be minutes, space-wise, yeah, yeah, in, in terms of minutes and stuff like that. So, obviously, it's it started a conversation <laughs> regarding Henderson and Thiago in terms of like keeping one, getting rid of one, potentially getting rid of both, keeping both. Where would you sit? Oh man, this. <laughs> but you, I'm gonna say, where you sit in hat? Um, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll take this one on the chin and if need be. I, I have, as I was saying earlier, alluded to earlier. I've kind of my opinion has evolved on this, to and I'm more towards the side of if a deal comes up and it makes sense to do it, particularly for Thiago. Uh, I mean, 
yeah, they're both good quality players. And I think that we've seen in patches, Thiago early on in patches in last season, Henderson at the World Cup, that when you're not asking them to do too much and too many, they can still be very effective players. The question, though, becomes, can they be as effective in this system? And I think we've both kind of touched on it in previous shows that we have our doubts as to where they really live. I think I said earlier on this show that I think the left-sided six fits is the only really place that Thiago fits. And that's only in the situation where we're maybe playing teams at the bottom of the table at home, or cup games, or even lower-ranked Europa League games, where we're going to be playing against packed defences and we want to have uh, Thiago and Trent Alexander-Arnold alongside each other trying to dictate tempo. That's one scenario where I think Thiago could still fit. The question is, how often are we going to need to use that scenario? And are there other people who could do it? I think there are. I mentioned them earlier. Both McAllister and Curtis Jones can do that. So I don't want to disrespect either of the players and what they've given to the club. But I think looking at it from here and now, based on how little we think that they'll be playing an influence on the pitch, how much... Uh, of, a, of wages we are paying them both. And when you think about the off the pitch influence, I do think it's a big deal to lose captain and vice-captain in the same summer. And to a certain extent, I do think Thiago is kind of like that role for the Spanish speakers. I mean, I know we like to think of the group as one big group, but they aren't really. Like, no football team is really one big group the whole time. There was probably a time a couple of years ago when they were... But no teams like that forever. Come on, guys. So he's kind of like the head of the Spanish-speaking guys. And the question is, is like overall, when you add up all of these little bits, there's a little role here, that role off the pitch there, the potential to teach other players here and there, and all of those things. Is it still worth it? Is it still worth it? And then on top of that, we have to put in the fact that I sat in this chair about a month ago talking about how I wish Liverpool were more ruthless when it comes to selling players and how I wish that we weren't always letting people go on a free. So that has to come into it as well. And I've basically convinced myself that if a good offer comes in from one of those two, I would consider it. Yeah, it's, it is a delicate one. Um, isn't it? I, think, I think Henderson, personally, I would keep... Um, I think the reason for that is because I know he's a big earner and things like that, but his availability certainly feels better than Thiago's. Um, and on top of that, again, going back to this 325 that we've been using, Henderson is a lot more of a fit and a lot more of a help than Thiago in that system. Because I think Henderson could play where Fabinho plays quite comfortably, especially with, with Trent next to him a lot of the time. He has shown an ability to play as the right-sided eight to an okay level. And I think, and I've said this before, I think he could do the inverted fullback stuff when we need him. Yeah, Not necessarily the inverted fullback who dictates the game like a quarterback, but an inverted fullback who tucks inside and just gives you an additional midfield body, maybe a bit more control in the centre. Nothing too elaborate, but just that kind of cutting inside thing. Uh, I think Henderson can do that. So if we do move to this system permanently, Henderson has the potential to occupy three roles to an all right level. Not in special necessarily, but just an okay level. Whereas Thiago, as you say, it is just the Fabinho role. And even the Fabinho role requires would require Thiago to be alone six when Liverpool retreat into more of a block and I'm uncomfortable with that so it's not a great it's not a good system at all for Thiago and I think the original plan to get Thiago in as like this kind of magician finishing touch stardust kind of thing on the left of Liverpool's midfield three as this kind of controller ultimate controller ultimate conductor of Liverpool's game just to kind of take an already brilliant team to an even higher level. I think that ex- that experiment has kind of ended, ended now, really, I think, because yeah. we've moved away from the, 
the 4-3-3. We're no longer this kind of elite Champions League winning team type thing, but, but we're going through a new phase now. So that kind of Thiago experiment for me is now over. So I would see more sense in, in allowing Thiago to go if he wants to go. But if he did stay, I don't... I wouldn't be the concerned and like that wouldn't be overly bothered about it. It's it, it is an availability above everything else. Um but yeah it's it's a tricky one. I can see the logic behind allowing him to leave though if we do. Um because even pe- people have been saying like it makes sense to keep him just because if you use him less he's ideal. But again it, if that feels a bit more four three three than than what we're doing now. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. I mean, the the question becomes: If you are really using him sparingly, does he become an occasional option, maybe even thirty minutes off the bench for the left ten? Because obviously, quality wise, he has the ability to do it. It is just the the energy, the ability to obviously occasionally pull wide and overlap, which is going to particularly in the system where uh, Robertson's going to be a bit more shackled. Uh, that's where it becomes an issue. But if you ask him to do it for thirty minutes at the end of the game. Maybe a time when we're looking for a goal and we need a little bit more, um, or, or the opposite, and we're not look, we're looking to defend and we want someone higher up the pitch who can be a little bit more of a block. I don't know. I think you're right, though. I think if he does end up staying, I'm not going to be like, oh, why have we got him here? But the thing we do have to remember is, is that we do know he's leaving at the end of next season regardless. Yeah, so yeah. if we're keeping him, it's literally keeping him for one year. So... Is having him in the building for the next 12 months worth more than whatever we would get in terms of off-wage bill, in terms of potential transfer fee, in terms of freeing up space for other players? That's basically the decision. I don't think either of them are starters now, you see. Um, And I I think Thiago was, was definitely signed as a starter. I think he was supposed to be a starter for probably his entire contract at Liverpool. It's just kind of, as I said, the experiments kind of ended the year early for me. Um, and the fact he's on like something like, I think he arrived as a, a joint highest earner at the time, excluding Salah. Um, and he's, if, if, if he's earning that and he's on the bench for the most part, you know, I've seen people <laughs> point out that like you, 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 these are very expensive cheerleaders essentially yeah, these yeah. are very expensive well, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I agree I do think there's, there's there's definite logic in what you've said when it comes to losing almost too many leaders obviously we've still got lots there we've just signed the captain the Sobersley captain in Gakpo Van Dijk is still in the building Alisson's still in the building Salah you know but we have just lost James Milner we have yeah. just lost Roberto Firmino, who was not necessarily a leader, but he's just a fixed presence. If we lose Henderson and Thiago in the same summer, it does. If I get little shades of like, I think at the end of the Ferguson era, I think Man United lost far too many of their kind of seasoned pros too quickly. Mm-hmm. Ferdinand, Vidic, Fletcher, I think a lot of them just kind of Van Persie, a lot of them just left very quickly. Um, and I think after that, I think Moyes might have been regretted it. Um, so I do think you've got to be careful with that sort of thing, but it's okay. just it, it is a tricky one. It feels like scales. It feels like we're a balancing act a little bit at the minute. I definitely think so, and I just think when you think about the personalities of those involved, like you say, Firmino was more. It was a joker in the dressing room, but he was one who didn't say a whole lot. But when he did talk, they listened. Milner, standards guy, but he was also the guy to bowl you all out. Whereas Henderson's more a guy to kind of encourage you, put your hand around you when you're off the pitch, but he's the guy balling you out on the pitch. So those little things, like, again, if it gets to it and we we're, we're suddenly need to come out of a hole, say we've got four points out of our first three Europa League games, we need to go on a one run and win the last three to get through. Who, who, who's leading? And I mean, yes, we've got Virgil van Dijk. Yes, we've still got Andy Robertson. But I want it to be a situation where people feel like they can step into those voids and maybe having them away is, is what needs. But I think losing all of them just makes me nervous. Just like you, I think it's something that we saw even going further back than Ferguson, 
uh, Graham Souness when he came to Liverpool. He did the same thing. He cleared out all of the established stars and he ended up regretting yeah. it. So as much as, the, like I said, these players are eventually going to be leaving soon and new players will need to step up into the breach, I think that there has to be some kind of transitional period. And also, if nothing else, the, if we were to sell, if we would sell to John Henson, it would be a massive story. Liverpool selling their captain. And yeah. outside forces would then put a lot more focus on what's happening at Liverpool than we probably want at this stage in our development. So I know there seems like a spurious reason not to sell someone, but it's some, it's a, it is a consequence of what would happen if we did. I think it, it all comes into the, the bigger picture, doesn't it? It all comes into the question. There's so many different elements to it. It's not just, a, I don't think it's one of them where it's as simple as these lads are earning a lot. They're going to be on the bench, get rid. I think there's, there's a lot more to it than that. And I suppose this does kind of bring us to the question of if if this was to stay as it is then, and obviously Liverpool have added McAllister and Liverpool have added Sobosch like, where is Liverpool's midfield rebuild now then? Would you, could it be done or is it not done in your eyes? Because if you think about it, if you look at the options Liverpool have got, we've now got McAllister, we've now got Sobosch like, We've got a reborn Curtis Jones who looked brilliant all of a sudden. <laughs> um, we've got Stefan Bersetic coming back. Uh, Thiago is still in the building. Henderson's still in the building. Fabinho there. Harvey Elliott, who I know some people have said he's not a midfielder. For me, he definitely is a midfielder. He's not a forward. Um, and I also think, again, going back to this system, I think Cody Gapo can play as one of the eights in this system uh, if needed. Say so we've got a few injuries or something. So, yeah, where, where, do you, where are you standing when it comes to this midfield rebuild? Are we done or do we need more or what? Um, we need more. I think, I think it's very, very good to where we're up to. But I would say there is a final piece missing for me, at least one. Because we can't really fully say the, the rebuild is done because for the simple reason that you just mentioned, Thiago, Fabinho and Henderson, like... From two seasons from now, all three of them will probably be gone. So we, the rebuild will be filling that hole. And I don't think that there's enough in the building yet to do that. I do think I'm going to bring up the physicality element again. I do think that's something that we do need to bring in. You might remind me looking at someone even bigger than Lavia. I think of, if you think of Gravenberg, those um, rumours still haven't officially died off. Uh, Kevin Taram, obviously, uh, has called down, but those are the kind of profiles of players that we were looking for, and we haven't got one of those yet. I do believe that we still need one, and I do believe that we will still get one over the next couple of years. But it's a very, very delicate thing, the midfield rebuild. I think more so than either forwards or behind, because with forwards, you can always rely, if you're getting goals or you're getting assists, or even if you're getting in good areas, you can always make an argument to say, okay, he's progressing, he's finding his way, et cetera, et cetera. With defenders, if you're keeping clean sheets, if you're winning tackles, if you're winning headers, then you can say, okay, you, the, the, there are obvious, clear things that he's doing that's helping the team. With the midfield, it's all a little bit more of much of a muchness, particularly considering the, the role change that's happening and the evolution of what we're being asked what midfielders are being asked to do. So it's harder to pinpoint and say, that guy's definitely doing it, that guy's definitely doing it. So I think for that reason, it's going to be a longer uh, rebuild than in the other positions. It's going to take more time for the guys to come in. And maybe it's going to take time for the guys to prove that they are the right guys. Or maybe there's going to be a case where they've had some time and they aren't, and then we have to look at replacing them again. But... I'm I'm enthused by the guys we've brought in, but I don't think it's over. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Well, to be fair, I mean, when I say rebuild, is it is it done type thing? I mean, exclusively for this summer. I don't necessarily mean like you know, overall longer period of time. I mean, like is the rebuild being done this summer? And if you think about it, really, right, Liverpool were bad for the large majority of last season. And the large majority of that involved a midfield three, which consisted of Henderson on the right, 
or Elliot. Fabinho was the holder. And on the left, it was, I think, Thiago most of the time. Who else played there? Uh, Keita um, a little bit. Bit of Keita, bit of Carvalho. Yeah, bit of Keita, yeah. So that, that was what Liverpool's initial midfield looked like. And that was that got battered, <laughs> essentially. Um, and if you think of what it could look like the first game of next season, it will be a box and it will be Fabinho, Trent, Sobuslein, McAllister. So when you actually think about it, it's a that's a massive change. That's a massive difference in in dynamic and in player quality and everything in youth. Um, it's a completely different. It's a completely new look midfield. So when you look at it like that, a lot has changed since Liverpool had this leaky midfield department that couldn't give the team any control. Um, I think a lot of the clamour for more signings it stems from the. I spoke that almost a lack of trust in when it comes to injuries uh, and, and and players not being available. And obviously that, that box midfield I've just mentioned there sounds great, but how many games will he be able to play together and, and, and things like that, you know, that comes into it. So I don't overly think, I think a lot of it, again, I do agree with the the kind of club statements in that it, it depends if anyone leaves. I think if, if someone leaves, someone has to come in. For me, uh, and it'll be it can be a younger player who who ideally is probably a bit more towards the the the, the midfield two rather than the f- the front bank of five. Um, someone a bit more in the middle third, defensive third, rather than another McAllister or another Sabuslay like to go towards the final third. Lavia could be that, um, but I'm not desperate enough for his signature to to start forcing players out or things like that. I don't I don't know. It's a it's it's uh, I feel a bit on the I don't feel like I'm in massively in one camp for this. Hmm. I know what you mean, and it almost still feels too early, but there's also there's the part because there's the logical part of my brain that says that asking these guys to do less minutes will get more production from them, will hopefully mean that they're available more and it will they will be valuable and useful members of the squad. But then there's the other world where it's like, what if they aren't? And having seen them not be for the majority of last season, if they aren't again, you kind of feel like, well, it's your own fault. You should have seen it coming. If you see what I mean? Yeah. So- I mean, to, to be fair, we, we we have the two lads we've signed so far do have virtually, not flawless, but really good injury records when it comes to the last season in particular, at least. Like McAllister for Brighton featured in 35 of Brighton's 38 Premier League matches last season. And Sobuslai featured in 31 of Leipzig's 34 Bundesliga games. So you're getting two players in there who who are very prime years and very available, no no kind of like wear and tear on them or anything like that. They're very fresh and stuff. So they should be available a lot more often. Than... Ready to be ruined by Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very much so, yeah. But they sh- and they should be available a lot more often than the lads who were getting replaced. Because I can see why people people are obviously looking at it as we've lost Naby, Milner and Ox and we've only replaced those three with two. But the two that we're replacing them with are available a lot more. So, you know, you have to factor that in as well. So it's, it's tricky. It's interesting. I mean, the, if you actually want to extrapolate it out to include Arthur and Carvalho, um, the minutes that those five plays that we left um, were less than half of the minutes that either McAllister or Zobazai played last season. So, yeah, yeah. like you say, it's night and day in terms of their availability in their careers up to this point. And that means that, in theory, it's a lot easier to juggle uh, eight frontline central midfielders when there's maybe one or two of them that are injury prone compared to five. <laughs> so in theory, it means that it should be, like I said, the logic remains that using these guys less, get the best out of them. You can manage it. So you could almost, I know Klopp always says he doesn't do this, but you could almost map it out and say, okay, he plays here, he plays here, he plays here, he plays here. For Particularly for the first bit of the season, because, we have to flag up the fact that Curtis Jones is still playing in the under-21s. He's going to be in the final, probably going to be in the team of the tournament as well, by the way, which means that his break is going to start later than everyone else's, which means that 
he may well not be even on the bench for the first game of the season, maybe even the first two games of the season, which means that <laughs> we're going to have to rely on the other guys to be able to do that. So it's going to be an early, an early opportunity for some of those guys to prove that they can still be uh, functioning um, parts of this new midfield. Yeah, well, I do think we have to mention Curtis, to be honest. Like, last season, when, when Liverpool's midfield was a mess and things like that, Curtis Jones was was injured due to, like, mad reasons. Like, the eye injury in particular was just, you know, unheard of, really. Um, but since he's came into the team, since, like, around April, he, he genuinely looks very, very good. Um, really good to the extent where, like, if he's competing from against McAllister for that kind of like left sided eight role, there's a genuine question there as to like who starts that because Curtis has been genuinely brilliant since April, and I, I know people hate the line of like he'll be like a new signing, but it it looks like a coming of age. I think with Curtis, it's a very very suitable role for him. He's injury free. He's in form. He's got momentum behind him. Twenty two years old now. Um, looks like a proper captain leader for for this England team going to the final at the minute. He could come home a champion. So he, you do have to factor in him as a, an almost a new player to have compared to last season because everyone's scars from that season, obviously. And Curtis is a is a big addition for us, even though he's always been at the club. See what I mean? It's he's going to be a big player moving forward. I think. Oh, I do, and it's strange as well because one of the things we always used to say about him is that. You can see his talent, but you can't really see where he's a natural perfect fit in the yeah. way that we're playing. Now we've changed where we're playing. Lo and behold, it fits like a glove. And I do think that that's been a part of it. Him finally being injury-free has been a part of it. But also, I think he's kind of a little bit more um, confident in what he can and can't do in his game. I think we've seen that from the under-21s tournament. Like I said earlier, he's playing a deeper role. It's like they don't really play a traditional 4-4-2 or 4-3-3. It's kind of a hybrid with no strikers, really. But they do have a double pivot with him and Angel Gomez. And I would say with the exception of maybe 25 minutes in the second half against Portugal, they've bossed every single team they've been up against. They haven't conceded a goal yet in this tournament. And he's been playing some killer defence splitting passes from a deep line position. So his confidence is up. He's now playing the best football of his career. He has to maintain that. And I think he can, but I think that this new challenge of him fighting for a spot with uh, maybe McAllister or maybe even some others, I think is going to be the making of him. I do think that he's going to be one of those where we get to this time next season and be like, yeah, we finally got a guy. There's going to be no more question marks about him. He's in our squad going forward. Yeah. I mean, we, we were going to wrap up by revisiting last week's Q&A because we didn't get anywhere near finished. Mm-hmm. But rather than doing that, I think we'll save that for when there's nothing going on, <laughs> essentially. So before we do wrap up, obviously Liverpool have just signed Sobuslai, added to McAllister. Where is next? For you, if you was kind of uh, overseeing it, and I think I appreciate there's like different spinning plates and, and things like that, but where would you be looking to to go next in terms of a position to upgrade or anything like that? I think I the, the, it appears that our next priority is a left sided centre back, and I think that I would go along with that. I mean, we've spoken about potential right back and ideas about what happens when Trent's not there. I think. Between Henderson and Bicetic, we might be able to see some of those. And even with uh, Gomez and going to a traditional four, we might see that there as well. So it does mean that last season, Virgil van Dijk played 32 Premier League games as opposed to 38, which is played pretty much every other season apart from the one he got injured in. And I think that that number is either going to maintain or go lower rather than go higher. So... I think that we do need to be able to have someone who can swap in for Virgil a lot more regularly than we've needed to in the past. He's not Superman anymore. And it hurts me to say it, but he isn't. But he's still a very, 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 very good defender. And we need to, the best chance we have of keeping him that way 
is not asking him to play too much and being able to take him out of the firing line occasionally. So I do think that's the position we're uh, zeroing in on. Um, it does interest me that we seem to have gone cool on Mickey van der Ven, which I'm okay with in a lot of ways. I thought that he was good at some things, but not at other things. But there's still lots of names floating around. I'd say Levi Colwell seems to be the one at the top of the list, but how do you buy a player the club don't want to sell? Well, I think a lot of it now is going to be decided by like who we can get, basically. like Say, for example, just complete ballpark figure. Say we've got 50 million left in the bank or something like that. I think we're used, we still need reinforcements, obviously, but you could argue we need a left-footed centre-back. You could argue we need a right-back and you could argue we need more midfielders. So if you've got those three voids and you've got 50 million to spend kind of on one of them almost, really. I think a lot of it will just be decided by who Liverpool can get. I think if we can get Colwell, we would probably write off the midfield for the summer and the right-back for the summer, probably, to be honest. Because I think Colwell will cost a fair bit. If we can't get Colwell, maybe then Lavia comes in. If we can't get Colwell or Lavia, maybe we get Inacio or then start looking at right-backs or something. Yeah. So it feels like one of them where, like, Almost like the floor's moving, and you and you kind of uh, trying to work out your way forward without stepping in the lava, almost. In the lava. Yeah. I couldn't not do that one. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll round up there anyway. Um, hopefully something happens in the next week. Well, I doubt it will. Um, but Liverpool certainly moving in the right direction. Certainly making improvements to their weakest departments. We'll keep an eye on it. But, Mo, thanks for joining us, mate. Pleasure as always, bud. See you next week. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.